Chapter Eleven of Household Puzzles by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eleven: Mistakes, Great and Small. Harvard Place Church was large and handsome, frescoed, upholstered, carpeted, organed in the latest and most approved style. The congregation was in keeping with the church, large, well dressed, cultivated. In fact, the Harvard Place Church was the fashion. Into this church, on the evening of which I write, sauntered Thompson Randolph, not from any special desire to be in church, but because it was customary to go, and he didn't know what else to do with himself. His sisters, Helen and Ermina, occupied prominent seats in the choir, and were very beautiful singers. Tom watched them as they fidgeted through the opening prayer, settling their overskirts and buttoning each other's gloves, and afterward finding, with some rustle of leaves, their places in the notebooks. "'I wonder what they will do next,' he whispered to his friend Germaine Wilcox, whose seat he occupied. "'How much prayer do they fancy they have heard?' "'They are getting ready to perform,' whispered Germaine behind his glove. "'They can't be expected to be interested in anything so commonplace as a prayer. They are going to have a stunning anthem to-night.' Sis has been squealing it all the afternoon. Sis Wilcox was one of the leading sopranos. The anthem was very beautiful, tender and sweet. Whether some of the effects of its sweetness was destroyed by the previous fidgets in which the choir had indulged cannot perhaps be ascertained with certainty. Tom Randolph very rarely paid close attention to the sermon. Sermons were not his forte, he was wont to say but on this particular evening something in Mr. Gordon's manner arrested his attention. "'Ye will not come unto me.' This was the text, and the sermon fitted it, a simple, solemn, earnest setting forth of the strangeness of the sinner's position before God. There had been much prayer spent on that sermon. I might almost say that Mr. Gordon had written it on his knees, so anxious had he been to say just the right thing in the most straightforward way. A good and earnest man was Mr. Gordon, whose heart was at times utterly weighed down with a sense of the responsibilities of his position, and his longing for the salvation of souls. Early in the evening Tom ceased his running comments on everything that was said and done, and sat erect with eyes fixed on the preacher's face. The style of sermon was one particularly calculated to arrest the attention of a sensible young man, and there was such a calm, close, direct appeal to common sense. "'There is no getting around some of his positions. The world is made of fools anyhow, and it looks as though I might be one of the number.' These were some of Tom's mental comments. However, during the closing prayer he allowed his thoughts to rove over the church and the village, and succeeded in a measure in shaking off the sense of personality. In the closing hymn he joined with unusual energy, partly because the tune was a particular favorite, and partly because he was aware that the choir preferred to do their own singing without assistance from the congregation. This was a view of matters that always exasperated Tom, and having a powerful voice, he did his best to express his opinion. How happy every child of grace who knows his sins forgiven! This earth, he cries, is not my place. I seek my place in heaven. 
such was one of the verses put in striking contrast with the main idea of the hymn the contrast between the state of those who have come and accepted of the promised life and those who will not come very little attention did tom randolph pay to the words he did not discover their appropriateness to the sermon the tune was the main point with him catching at the words a line at a time and while he sang it letting his eyes rove through the church it is no wonder that the words became confused in his brain and his voice rang out loud and clear i seek no place in heaven germain wilcox laughed that's true enough he whispered but it's not quite the idea that parson gordon wants sung can't you read not another line sang tom it was not embarrassment few if any besides germain would be likely to notice the mistake if they did tom was naturally too unconcerned to care but there came to him a sudden overwhelming sense of the truth of the sentiment as he had sung it i seek no place in heaven it was one thing for a young man morally nay christianly brought up to quietly ignore the facts of death and hereafter it was quite another to boldly declare that he sought no future home if the line had read as he imagined i seek no place but heaven his tongue would have glided smoothly over the poetic falsehood without a thought but the true sentence that he had unwittingly sung filled him with a feeling almost like dismay he did not saunter home with germain as he had at first intended but left him immediately and turned his steps homeward peter armstrong was just ahead he halted as he recognized tom going home was all he said and it chimed in with tom's thoughts I seek no home. No, he answered with a sharp laugh. I'm going to destruction. Peter was silent and astonished. He was not quick-witted. He did not quite take Tom's meaning. He would not have known what answer to make if he had, so he made none. But presently said over the two lines of the hymn that had stayed with him. This earth, he cries, is not my place. I seek my place in heaven. The truth of the rendering this time struck Tom forcible. Undoubtedly Peter was seeking a place there. No one who came in daily contact with him could doubt it. "'I made a new version of those lines to suit my own case,' he said with an attempt at a laugh, and then he repeated them as he sang them. "'Well,' said Peter, gravely, "'that's so, ain't it?' nothing could be truer only a fellow don't enjoy singing it out before a congregation you know might as well sing it as live it peter answered speaking very gravely it's a dreadful mean way to live i wouldn't do it if i was you tom laughed you come to the root of things almost as promptly as mr gordon does he said carelessly but i am about as well satisfied with the way in which i live as i am with the most lives i see this sentence was the embodiment of Tom's hobby. It had in it the great beam behind which he hid while he pointed his finger at the motes in other people's eyes. But Peter did not know this. He knew nothing about hobbies anyway, so he continued his own train of thought. "'It's queer how folks live, ain't it now?' he said. Knowing that some things are true, there's that line, "'This earth,' he cried, "'is not my place.' Now everybody can say that, who ever heard of a man finding a place to stay here on earth he goes off somewhere that's plain enough he's sure to die and he knows he will 
now for them that sing the next line as you did and there's lots of em where are they going to live no place on earth and they won't have one in heaven now wouldn't you think it would be kind of natural for them to wonder where they would stay i wish charles wesley had found some other place to live in before he wrote that hymn muttered tom i never was so haunted then he and peter both went in the front way to the parlor to wait for family worship mr randolph had gone to his room would be ready in a little while grace said so the family lounged in various attitudes awaiting his coming what a very long sermon mr gordon had to-night helen said folding her crape veil i got so tired i wonder if it wasn't an old sermon some way it sounded like one to me i'm sure i don't know he might preach an old sermon every month and i should be none the wiser i can't remember mr gordon's sermons they don't interest me this from ermina i think this one was interesting there were a good many illustrations this was grace's timid protest i'm tired of his illustrations helen said wearily he has about twenty for every sermon i don't see the use in a minister telling stories all the while as if his congregation were a parcel of children nevertheless it is generally considered the most acceptable style of sermonizing tom said as he stretched his handsome self on the lounge and laid his curly head on grace's lap helen turned and looked at him in cool surprise who ever imagined that you had any idea concerning the most acceptable styles of sermonizing i didn't know it was in your line it has been in my line to hear beecher and talmage and john hall perhaps you know and i heard several illustrations used i can assure you oh well i have no objection to illustrations where they are needed to explain truth to those who cannot understand it without i only wish you had profited by all those you have heard i wish i had with all my heart tom said gloomily i think myself that patterns are needed as well as illustrations maria here took up the conversation i wish mr gordon would leave his handkerchief at home how nervous that man does make me winding it around his hand and twisting it in all sorts of shapes i'm always afraid he will forget where he is and make an out-and-out -out rabbit as i presume he does at home for the children his handkerchief doesn't trouble me as much as his continual fidgeting ermina said squeaking boots too if i were mrs gordon i'd soak them in grease for a month and he shrugs his shoulders worse than ever helen did you notice him to-night it's for all the world just as his baby does when it wants something it can't have he is so wretchedly nervous anyway that it is a trial to watch him sis wilcox says he gives her the fidgets she has them anyway maria said she acts like a simpleton if i were going to whisper and laugh as much as she does i should choose some less conspicuous place than the choir well ermina said she is a simpleton why shouldn't she act like one she is a member of the same church with yourself tom said pointedly and helen made emphatic response what if she is that doesn't ensure perfection so i perceive i was simply interested in observing how you all loved each other i wonder who pretends to love her i'm sure i never did but i thought that was one of the articles of your creed that only helps to show how limited your knowledge of church matters is 
Maria, how many colors had Laura Fox about her this evening? I'm sure I don't know. I haven't an eye for colors. Besides, my post of observation is not as extended as yours and Ermina's. I listened to the sermon this evening. That's a wonder. It was less worthy of attention than usual. I don't like such sermons. I don't either, Tom said laconically. I never heard a sermon in my life that I thought was more of a nuisance. That's a strange word to apply to a sermon, Tom. I thought it was very solemn. It was Grace's soft voice that now interposed. I think so, too, Tom answered quickly. It is solemn sermons that Helen and I don't like. I didn't say any such thing, Helen said. Tom, what is the use of making fun of everything? You don't know anything about sermons, and therefore you ought not to criticize them. Tom laughed sarcastically. Perhaps I don't know anything about church members, and therefore ought not to criticize them. No, you ought not. People do not profess to be perfect because they are members of the church. That's fortunate, because they are so far removed from it that no one would believe them if they did. I'll tell you what I believe. And he sat erect and spoke excitedly. I believe the whole thing is a humbug. Here you girls have been to church this evening, listening to what, if it is true, is as solemn as death itself, and you come home and discuss the preacher's handkerchief and boots and gestures. Part of you professes to be on the safe side of the line, and to think that the other part of us are on the very brink of destruction, and neither you nor we appear to care. Now how is a fellow to believe there is any truth in any of it? Tom Randolph! Helen said in dismay. I didn't know you were an infidel. A fiddlestick. If I'm not, it is not the fault of the burning and shining lights that I see around me. Take your own case, Helen. Do you believe your own doctrine? Of course I believe it, or I wouldn't profess to. Then you believe that Maria here is in danger of everlasting destruction, and yet, in the face of such a sermon as Mr. Gordon preached tonight, you ask her about the colors that Laura Fox wears. If your doctrine means anything, you ought to be begging and pleading with her to escape for her life. I'm not a fanatic, Helen said coldly. No, you are not. I'll answer for that. But you are either self-deceived, or the whole thing is a humbug. If there is religion at all, it must be something different from this milk-and-water stuff that consists in dressing up in one's best and doing the praising for the rest of the congregation, and then coming home and picking to pieces what sounded like a solemn sermon. I don't believe any of it, and I think I'm justified in my conclusion. I tell you, I think— The sitting-room door opened, and Mr. Randolph came in. He went directly toward his accustomed seat, took up the family Bible, and there sounded in the room, on the very breath of the sharp sentences that had filled the air, these words— Wherefore, laying aside all malice, and all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God, and precious. Then Mr. Randolph prayed, and he prayed for his daughters and his son in such a manner that Tom Randolph was left no chance for believing that to his father at least this thing was a humbug. 
He laughed a little as he met Peter's earnest look half an hour afterward, as he went to the kitchen for some water. "'It's a great muddle, Peter,' he said. "'I don't know how to put it. My father means it, I guess, and I think very likely you do. But as for the rest—' "'I know one other who means it,' Peter said, interrupting him. "'Who is that?' "'The Lord Jesus Christ.'" End of chapter 11